The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit MidtownColumbia.com slash partner. Amen. Uh, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you before, I'm Ant Pastor here uh, at Midtown Tonight. If you're a guest, very glad that you're here uh, to worship with us. We're going to get into the word uh, a little bit before I do so. Hopefully, again, if you're a guest, we're able to get uh, one of our bulletins to you. Uh, if, if this is your first time here worshiping with us, we'd love for you to fill out the bottom of that bulletin and drop it in the offering basket when it is uh, passed around us. We'd love to just acknowledge your presence and know uh, who was here with us uh, today as we worship. Uh, if, you, if you will, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 8. Again, John chapter 8, you can go ahead and, and just start turning there. Uh, if you've been with us, you know we're in the middle of a series that we're calling uh, I Am God. Right, where we're looking at the different I Am statements that, that Jesus makes throughout the book of John that reveal a few things about him. Right, the, the, these statements draw a line in the sand, and Jesus is very much so separating himself from everyone else who has ever lived. We talked about him being the, the bread of life. We talked about him being the resurrection and the life. Jesus revealing he is altogether different and unique and holy and set apart for everyone else. He, he's, he's, he's revealing that he's, he is a man, but he's not just a man, but actually that he is God. He's revealing who he truly is. I always say a lot of people have views about who Jesus is, and we want to know exactly who he is, what he's about, what he cares about, what he wants for us. Then we need to go to the source. We need to go to him. Today is no different. We'll look at another I am statement as Jesus is revealing himself. And it's one of the, the, the statements that just reminds me of just how wonderful he is. I felt like it was such a fitting song that we sang before. Now we get into this sermon. We're going to be in John chapter 8 again, verse 12 is where we'll start, and we'll look at the, the I am statement that Jesus makes uh, that we'll be spending our time looking into today. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Of life. That's our I am statement for today. What does Jesus mean when he reveals himself to be the light? Not a light, the light of the world, of the entire world. He's saying there is one true light in the entire, in the entire world. That is me. I am the light of the world. He says, I don't want to spend a lot of time in front of you uh, this morning. I have three main things that Jesus is revealing himself. We, we, the list could go on and on. I feel like we have time for three Things today that Jesus is revealing about himself as he communicates to us that he is the light of the world. It's a very profound statement that he is making. To understand it, well, the first one is uh, the, the light shows us the way. The light shows us the way. To really understand uh, what Jesus is revealing about himself when he calls himself the light of the world, you have to understand uh, the, the, the celebration and the feast that was currently going on uh, in Jerusalem as Jesus makes this point. It was a feast that's known as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents. Uh, it was a time when they remembered and celebrated what God had done for them as a people uh, hundreds of years before that time. So many years before Jesus ever came, God's people were enslaved to the Egyptians. They were, they were oppressed extremely harshly. God freed them through a lot of miraculous signs from slavery to Egypt. And he's, he has them on this process, this journey to the promised land, the land that he had promised to their forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. But, but during that time, as he had them traveling through this unfamiliar territory, uh, he, a couple, there were a couple things that you need to know uh, about that, that, that traveling time. One is because, of, because they never really settled in one place, they always lived in tents or, or booths 
if you would. They, they never had a secure home. They were never able to really build. They were always in these tents. And this, this period of traveling, because of their rebellion, lasted for about 40 years. So, so they're in this, 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 this transition for about 40 years, living in tents the whole time. Uh, and the way that God guided them, especially during the night, is he would manifest his presence to them in such a way where there was this, this, this pillar of fire that would hover over them. And it would guide them. When it was time for them to move, the, the pillar of fire would go out in front of them. And, and at, at nighttime, you got to understand, there's no like streetlights at this point. They're in unfamiliar territory, traveling to a place that they've never been to before, and there's no streetlights. So, so God would lead and guide them by just having this huge pillar of fire that was actually his presence that was guiding them through that time. In this Feast of Booths that is currently going on as Jesus is revealing who he is as the light of the world, uh, they, they, would, again, they would live outside in tents for about a week. So about a week, they're not sleeping in their house. They're sleeping outside in these tents. They're remembering, they're celebrating what God has done, the way God has provided for them, the way he has guided them, and literally been their light that's one thing they did. Another thing that they did, and they did this once a year at this celebration time, they would build these, these huge pillars. They were like giant candles. They had fire at the top of them, and it would like light up the whole city or, or a lot of the city of Jerusalem. Again, there's, there's no street lights at this time in the way that we know them right now. So this would have been an amazing thing. It was, it was, it was like nothing else that they experienced on a day-to-day basis. And when Jesus stands up and proclaims that he is the light of the world, there's a good chance that these pillars, these, these huge giant candles, were still standing high and still burning. Jesus knows that they understand the significance that these, that these huge pillars were representative of the time when God had led them through the wilderness, through the pillar of fire that, that hovered above them and guided them. And he, likely with those pillars still standing, probably still set on fire, he looks at them and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Here in John chapter 8, Jesus is, is, is revealing himself. Let's be clear. He's saying that he is their guide, that he is the one that they can trust through the struggle, through the pain, through the suffering, through times of confusion, through times where they don't know exactly what is going on, that he is not only their guide, but he's saying, I am the guide of the world. I am the light of the entire world. I am the one that you should trust and you should follow. He's saying, I am God. This is what he's proclaiming with this statement. He's claiming to be the the greatest fulfillment of of what is written in Psalms 119, verse verse 115, that says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He leads us down paths that are good, paths that are right. That's important to know, because today there are many, many people who who claim to, to, to quote-unquote, be the light, who claim to, quote-unquote, know how life works and how we should live and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But Jesus says that he's the light of the world. He is our guide in the darkness. He, in the midst of confusion, is the one we should look to for our guidance. We'll talk more about this later on in the series, but there are a lot of people who, who are really um, kind of proclaiming this, uh, this, this message of, hey, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Right? What works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. You shouldn't try to, try to, try to push what you believe on me. And it's really a rejection of, of, the, of the fact that there's an objective way that we should live. It's a rejection of that. It's a dismissal of the idea that God can say, no, this is right and this is wrong and this is how you should live. Many, many people today would say that you are wrong if you try to say that, that the truth that you have is ultimate truth. If you try to say that this way of living is right and others should conform the way that they live to, to this way of living that you have, we have received from God through his word, there are many 
who will say you're a bigot, you're closed-minded, you're behind the times, you're on the wrong side of history, many will say. But Jesus says he is the light of the world, which means that he is also saying that everyone who does not walk in him walks in darkness. They are walking blind, if you would. Matthew chapter 15, verse 14 Jesus, he's, he's, he's telling his disciples about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious leaders of that time. He's warning them about the Pharisees who did not trust in Christ. He says, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Now, obviously, we don't have Pharisees walking among us today, but I believe the point still holds true. That without the light, everyone is blind. You ever been in a dark room trying to find your way when you don't know what's actually around you? It's impossible. We need light. In a world with so much darkness, we need light. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And when we follow anyone, any, any thought process, any, any pattern of belief, any ideology, any worldview that is not submitted to Christ, that is not submitted under what he calls us to, we walk around blindly believing that we see. So many leaders who would call us to follow them, their way of life that is separate from Christ. Let me clarify for us who we should trust and why I would say some of the reasons are we should trust Christ. Many historians would widely regard Christ as, the, as Jesus as the most influential person in history. Yet he has not one shred of evidence of any type of scandal or immorality, historically speaking. He is the king who comes who is willing to die for his enemies, dying for the very people who hated him. He is historically documented to have predicted how he would die and that he would live again after he died. And then he has historical documentation of people saying that I am eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Many eyewitness accounts that verify his claims. There are many people who have claimed to be sent by God to lead people into truth and lead people into life and light. No one has the credentials he does. There are many leaders who have claimed to know the way that we should live, but none can say that they have a number of followers that has been growing for the last 2,000 years and spread to every inhabitable continent on the planet. He is the one we should listen to. His, 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 his resume reveals that he is truth. He is life. Many have claimed to be the light. Many have claimed to be the light, excuse me. None have shown themselves to be the light as he is. He is the guy we should listen to. He is the one that we should trust. He is the light of the world. His words are true, and they guide us to true fulfillment in life. This is what we profess as Christians, right? This is why we follow him. This is why we have forsaken our own way of living, because we found, no, he, he is the life. He is the one we should follow. He is the one we should trust. We profess this. We, like the children of Israel, are in a world of darkness, we, 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 and, and at times, like the children of Israel, we doubt that he truly is the light. If you're familiar with their story, one of the things that you know is that even as he was guiding them with the pillar of fire in the wilderness, in the darkness, they still complained about him, they still didn't think that he was for their good, they still wanted to turn away from him. We're actually oftentimes a lot like the children of Israel. Even though he has proven himself to be the light to us, we often don't trust him. Question for us today. Does Jesus' way of doing things affect every aspect of your life? Affect every component of your life? Does, does the true Jesus of the Bible dictate the way that you view things like money? 
Christians, those of us who believe that he is truly the light of the world, if we looked at the way that we spend and use money, would we be able to see a difference between the way we as believers use and spend our money as compared to those who do not believe that he is the light of the world? Because if Jesus is truly the one and only light of the world, then that's going to affect every single aspect of our lives. Because it means that we should let him guide us in every aspect of our lives. If I looked at our spending habits, specifically what we do with the money that is left over after all the needs are met, will we see that we use money primarily to get what we want or primarily to be about his business? Will we use it, will the way we use our money reveal that we truly love people as ourselves and truly love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will we see that we use our money to support what God is doing in and through his church? Will we see that we care more about our own interests and our own selves? Our spending habits will often reveal unbelief in our hearts. Unbelief in the fact that he is truly the light of the world, that he is truly the one that we should let guide us and submit to his leadership. Does the true Jesus of the Bible dictate to you the way that you view your time? There's two types of currency. Money is one of them, and money is the type of currency that we don't all have the same amount of. Another type of currency is time. Last week, all of us had the same amount of time. We had varying degrees of responsibilities, varying degrees of commitments and obligations that we have, but we all have the same number of hours in the week. How do we spend our time? We have varying degrees of obligations, but we have to ask ourselves, what are those things in our schedule that are non-negotiable? I remember a few years ago, I was at a, uh, at a friend's place. Uh, we'll, call her, we'll call him Jay. That's not his name. Uh, so Jay had this show that he loved to, lo- loved to watch. And we was over there hanging out. It was a group of us. We was, we was having a good time. And then the show came on, and it was like, it was like I don't know what happened. It's like a, a change happened. And I got shushed about 10 times for talking during the show. I mean, he wasn't answering the phone. I mean, I was, I've never been shushed by Jay before in my entire life. But the show came on, and for a solid hour, there was a non-negotiable. This is what I am doing. If you're in my house, this is what we are doing, because this is not negotiable for me. We're not, we're not, we're not conversing. I was just trying to figure out what was going on with the show, because I had never seen it before. I can't even get on board with the show, because every time I ask a question, I just get shut down immediately. It was a non-negotiable. You have any non-negotiables like that? Does Christ set your non-negotiables? Or does something else set them for you? Because if we truly believe that Jesus is the light of the world and he gets to set our priorities, he gets to set what's negotiable and what's not negotiable with our time. One of the verses I go to uh, pretty consistently to just remind myself uh, of what types of things should be non-negotiables in my life based on the Word of God. I go to uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It just kind of lays out for us this, this example of what the first church, what they devoted themselves to, what they were most committed to together as a body of believers. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves, and that word devoted means it's, it's what you're loyal to, right? It's what you're committed to. It's what marks your life. Uh, this passage is, a, is kind of a summary of it. if we were to explain the things that mark their lives, if we were to be able to look in, here's the things that we will see that they were committed and loyal to. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
Again, this is the, the first church are leading us with their example. The, the apostles teaching, this is how they were taught the word of God. This is how they were challenged and encouraged and learned more and more about God's word. Devotion to learning God's word is a sign of believing that Jesus is truly the light of the world. So they were devoted to the fellowship, the spending time with and sharing their lives with other believers. Devotion to fellowship with other believers is a sign of believing that Jesus is truly the light of the world. Since they were devoted to the breaking of bread. This likely either refers to communion or just meals that they shared together consistently. Devotion to the breaking of bread with other believers is a sign of believing that Jesus is truly the light of the world. And they were devoted to the prayers, talking to God. Again, a sign that we believe that he is the light of the world. If you go a little bit farther in the book of Acts, we have Paul as he, he's, he's talking to some of his, some of his friends, fellow, fellow ministers. He, he has to go somewhere that, that they know there's going to be a lot of suffering ahead of him. They're trying to get him to stop. And this is how Paul responds to them. Acts 20, verse 24. This is what a life looks like that, that truly believes that Jesus is the light of the world. Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course. And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And here's what, here's what he describes as his course and the ministry that he has received from the Lord Jesus. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I don't count my life in and of itself as any value or precious to myself. I, the thing that I am worried about is, am I using my life to testify to the grace of the gospel? Or testify to the gospel, excuse me, of the grace of God. That's what I care about with my life. That's what I care about with my time. That's what I care about with my routines, with what's non-negotiable in my schedule, he says. Paul knew that Christ was the light of the world. Do I believe that Christ is lovingly guiding me as he calls me to lay down my life for his sake and for his kingdom, telling me that I'll actually truly find life when I give up my own self-centered way of life? If so, if we truly believe that, if we truly trust him to be the light of the world, then we know things like fellowship with believers, sitting under the word of God, prayer, sharing the good news with those that don't know him. These things will mark our lives if we truly believe this, because this is what he calls us to. This is the direction he leads us to individually and collectively as his people. There's no way that I can truly believe that Jesus is truly the light of the world and these things not be markers in my life. These are all things that the word of God show us ought to be non-negotiables in our lives, in our schedules, in our routines. Parents in the room, if I looked at the way you parented, would I notice that the way you parent is based on the Bible more than based on the philosophies of men? Is your parenting distinctly Christian? If you believe Jesus is the light of the world, then, then you won't just sit and wait for a preacher or some type of minister to come and share with you what it looks like to parent in a godly way. You go open the Bible and look for it. You would search out his word. You could literally in 10 minutes Google scriptures about parenting. 10, 15 minutes, literally, to seek out, okay, the light of the world, he's guiding me in this, he wants to guide me in every aspect of my life. How, how do I follow him? You can search for that online very easily, very quickly. And if we won't take 10 minutes to search 
in God's word. God, what are you calling me to do? How are you calling me to be a parent? How are you calling me to be a friend? It reveals so much that not only do we not see him as the light of the, as the, light of the world, but it shows that we don't really care much at all about what he has to say. One of the things I think is the biggest signs of whether or not we believe that Christ is actually the light of the world, that he is actually our guide, that he is actually the one who, who we trust to lead us, is do we consume and meditate on the word of God? Do we value that? Do we find that to be important? This is where he reveals himself to us in his word from Genesis to Revelation. He's showing us who he is, what he's about, what he cares about, what his character is like. Do we spend time meditating on it, searching him out in the scriptures? We can't say that we believe that he is the light of the world if we won't seek his guidance as he has revealed it to us in the scriptures. If you believe that Jesus is the light, you're going to be in that book. If you believe that he is the light, then you will go to where he has revealed his light to us. In his word, Jesus is the light of the world. He is our guide. He shows us the way. Second point, Jesus is the light of the world. The light reveals everything. The light reveals everything. I want to say this even though it's obvious because it helps make the point. You're in a dark room, you throw on a flashlight, and all of a sudden you're able to see. There are things that you weren't able to see. If you live in darkness, there's things that that go unseen that you aren't able to see, that others aren't able to see unless the light shines. Here's what that ultimately means. Objectively speaking, you have no secrets. Objectively speaking, you have no secrets. You have hidden nothing. You actually have no absolute privacy. Christ sees all. He is the light. He shines on all. There is nothing that happens that he is not aware of. We have no secrets. Absolute privacy is a myth. And this is great news. This is great news. We often have secret sins that are, that are plaguing us, that are, that are harming us. Christ sees those sins that we have, and through his Holy Spirit, he is, he is coming after our hearts in pursuit of our repentance for us to turn away from the sins that he sees. We may hide them from anyone else. The light of the world, he sees. He shines on all of the darkness in us. And through his Spirit, he will constantly push us and prod us and encourage us to turn away from the sins that are corrupting our hearts, corrupting our minds, corrupting our bodies. Christ and his word will expose the sin that is inhibiting our joy and our peace in him. This is good news for us. The most loving thing he could do for us is point it out to us and call us to fight against it. It's the most loving thing he can do. I heard a pastor say one time, that he had a member who uh, went to the doctor for a checkup and ended up finding out that he had cancer. But they found it very early, and, and, and very early to the point that it was very treatable. Uh, they knew that they were going to be able to treat it, and he was going to be, he was going to be okay. He said at the beginning, that man, he, he was so devastated to find this, this news out of you. He was like, this is horrible news. But then later on, after the treatment started working, he realized how great of a blessing it was that it was revealed to him when it was. 
because he was able to fight against it. They were able to treat it. They were able to do what was necessary so that, he could, so that they could defeat it and, and, and he could get on with his life when Christ, the light of the world, shines his light on your sin, on ways that you are rebelling against him. It is a loving thing because now we can fight against the thing that is destroying us. Now we can fight against the thing that, that is harming us, that is corrupting us, that is harming us, that is harming the people around us. It is a loving thing for the light of the world to shine on the darkness in our hearts. It is what we need. It is what our world needs. We need the light of the world to shine on us. Not only does the light of the world shine in the hearts of Christians so that we can fight against the sin and the darkness in our lives, but one day the light of the world will shine upon every every sin that has ever been committed by all who have walked this earth. Luke 12, 2 and 3. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. It's a myth if we feel like we're getting away with, so to speak, any sin that we have committed. It's a myth to, 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 to believe that it will go unchecked, that, that there will not be an account given for every word that we have said, every deed, every action that we have committed. We will all stand before the light of the world. He will expose everything. Nothing will remain hidden. Nothing will remain in the dark. Nothing will remain covered up. All will be revealed and made known. And this is great news. And this is great, great news. This is great news for everyone who's been abused or harmed and silent behind closed doors in the darkness. This is great news for everyone who's ever been evicted, who have been a victim of something where, there, where no justice on this earth has been brought to it. Every victim will have the, the sin that was committed against them brought to the light. And there will be an account given before the light of the world when he sits in his judgment seat. There have been so many, so many people, many of us in this room who have suffered through, the, through abuse in darkness, who have suffered behind closed doors, who have cried tears that we felt that no one else will understand. As those who, who, who have abused, who have caused harm to us, seemingly have gotten away. For every harmful act that's been done behind closed doors, there will be a day where we stand before the light and everything that's done in the dark will be exposed and justice will be executed for every victim that has ever lived on this earth because he is the light of the world and he will shine his light on everything that happened in the darkness. The, fi- the fact that he is the light of the world is what gives me hope. It's what helps me to stay sane when I see in this country and all around the world oppression take place with no justice. This is what keeps me sane. God sees, God knows, no one brings justice like God does. He is the light of the world. Nothing will remain in the darkness. No oppressor will go without there being some type of consequence that is dealt out on his day of judgment. Knowing that there is a perfect heavenly court where the light of the world sits high above every imperfect earthly court helps me to have some sense of peace when these imperfect earthly courts let us down, when justice is not perfectly executed. It fuels my hope and trust in God to know that he sees all and he will shine on all. 
the light of the world. He sees all. He reveals and will reveal all. Third and final point for the day, the light of the world. The light banishes the darkness. The light banishes the darkness. Something you might not know about light and darkness, maybe you just never thought about it. Uh, many people, I think, would, would understand light and darkness to be kind of equal opposites, right? Where, where they're kind of the same, they're just the opposite. Maybe, maybe like hot and cold. So hot and cold are, are, are two things that are exactly on opposite ends of the spectrum, and they can mutually affect each other, right? If you bring cold air in where there's warm air, it'll cool it down. If you bring warm air in, in somewhere that is cold, it will warm it up. Light and darkness are very different, very different. If you're, if you're in your house and you turn the light on and you open the door and it's dark outside, the darkness doesn't come in, the light goes out. Darkness does not move in on light. Light moves in on darkness. If you're in a dark room and you, turn, and you light a candle, you turn on the flashlight, the, the, the light, depending on the strength of it, will continue to push back and do away with the darkness. But the darkness will never move in and push in on the light. Jesus says he is the light of the world. No, no, darkness can only exist when there's not a light strong enough to push it away. That is where darkness exists. We see in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Jesus talks, well, John talks about Jesus being this light. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is referring to Jesus, referring to Jesus is, is coming. It's saying this, this light, it came in, it shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. The darkness in this world that we have felt, it cannot overcome the light. That is Jesus, the light of the world. Darkness in the Bible is often used to refer to sin. It's often used to refer to rebellion against God. And it's often used to refer to, to the effects of sin, the, 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 the corruption that, that sin causes, the deterioration that sin causes is often in the Bible referred to, referred to as darkness. John writes to those who have experienced darkness, those who have been harmed by it, many who have been tormented by the darkness. He writes to those who are currently suffering under an oppressive empire. He writes to those who know the hurt and the loss and probably the hopelessness that, that results from living in a broken, dark world. And he says to them, the light has come and the darkness cannot overcome it. He's saying Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. The light that shines in the, and no matter how dark this world seems, it does not overcome it. Jesus being the light in the world that banishes the darkness means the sin that I've told you about that he reveals in our hearts that he calls us to fight against, that he is powerful to defeat and destroy it, that he is powerful to conquer the sin in our lives that has tormented us for so long, the sin in our lives that feels unbeatable. He is powerful to conquer it, that, we, that he is powerful that we can find victory in him over our sin. It's good news that he doesn't just expose our sin, but when we believe in him and fight our sin in his strength, he delights to work through our fighting to give us victory over the sin in our lives. This is good news for every Christian who has suffered, for every Christian who has dealt with sin and just, just felt hopeless. Every Christian who, 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 has, who has dealt with sin or maybe for decades at a time and just felt like, this is just who I'm going to be forever. He says, no, I am the light of the world. And the darkness cannot overcome me. And the darkness has nothing on me. 
He delights to free us from the shackles of sin that we often hold on to. He has come into the world. He shines his light on the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world that banishes the darkness. And that also means we can have hope. It means we can have hope no matter how dark our world gets, no matter how hopeless our lives feel, no matter how much, no matter how much depression and anxiety we go through, no matter how much grief we carry with us, no matter how much trauma we experience, no matter how many scars we carry with us each day, no matter how many insecurities plague us, no matter how many times we fail and we disappoint ourselves and others, no matter how many relationships have failed that we tried to hold on to, we have hope. We're able to still have hope in the Lord. Because we know that the darkness cannot overcome the light of the world. We know that he works all things together for the good, for those who who love him and are called according to his purpose. For the Christian, this light isn't just something that we see at the end of the tunnel. No, the light is our companion and our strength that walks with us through the darkness of this world. He is the light of the world. He is the light that lives inside of us, that shows us the way, that reveals what is hidden and banishes the darkness. He is the light that is a constant presence in our lives and will be there with us through the end of this life until he takes us home to be with him in the next. And he is the light that we read about in verses like Revelation 22, verse 5. God has given John eyes to see in heaven what it will be like when we go home to be with him, to be with the light. And it reads, and night will be no more. And they will need no, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It says that for all who are in him, we're going to go to a place where nighttime won't exist because there's no room for darkness, and there's no need for the light of a lamp. There's no need for the light from the sun because the light of the world will shine so bright that darkness will have no place ever again that he will shine the light of the world and we will see his glory so emanate from him that it will light up our, this great city that we will be in with him. Because the Lord God will be our light. The light of the world will shine so bright, all the darkness will be banished. There will be no more sin. There will be no more desire to hide. There will be no more pain, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more grief, no more scars, no more darkness forever. As we reign with him because the light of the world has defeated the darkness. And he looks forward to the day when he will banish the darkness from all of his people. Our great king, our great king who came from heaven, who was the light that the darkness could not overcome. He subjected himself to the darkness as he allowed himself to be crucified for the sins of his people. Yet he conquered darkness and that he lived a sinless life and that he was raised from the grave so that we might be forgiven from sin and victorious over the sin in our lives in our lives and over the darkness. He is truly the light of the world worthy of our worship. Worthy of our worship, worthy of us standing in awe of him and his goodness. The light that banishes the darkness. So we're going to partake in communion together in just a couple minutes. We'll take the broken bread which represents the broken body of Jesus. We'll we'll dip it in the juice that represents the blood that he has shed. My desire for us today is that it will remind us that the light of the world, that the one that the darkness could not overcome, subjected himself to the darkness and to death so that he could free us from the darkness with his light. The one who was completely innocent and righteous, 
allowed himself to be condemned in our place so that we might know him, so that we might know the light, so that we might follow the light, that we might know the joy of being led by the one who is the light of the world. Let us remember this as we partake and commune together. I pray for us and then we'll, we'll approach the communion table together. Father, we're grateful that you are the light of the world. We're grateful that you are the light that shines in the darkness. Father, we have so many people that we know, so many people that we love that walk in darkness every day because they do not know you. Father, would you shine so bright? Would you shine in such a way that you catch the attention of those who are walking around blind that, that we know that we love? Father, would you help us to share your light with power with all of those that we know who do not know you? Would you use us as your vessels? Would you use us collectively, Father, to be ministers of the light? That we will be, that you, we would be those who your light shines through in the darkness. Father, we thank you for sending your son, your son that would, that would taste the darkness, that would, that would die at the hands of the darkness and then rise above the darkness. And we thank you that we'll find the same resurrection in you. It's in Christ's name I pray.